Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. We are joined today by Angela Rivera, Executive Vice President of Synergistic. Listen to how her personal journey as a sick child started her down what she thought would be a career in medicine, but how after more health issues as a young adult eventually led her to health IT. She now oversees cybersecurity and information management strategy and sales to keep hackers at bay in healthcare. So my journey started when I was younger. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor and I had some health issues as a child, so I was always at the doctor's offices and then knew you know, I wanted to fulfill that passion. In high school, I was a pretty good student. Um, in college, I was pre-med um, at my local university and started struggling in college because I had really bad migraines and arm tremors and things like that. Uh, they could never really diagnose it, but my grades just weren't being kept up to par because it was really hard to study and all of that through, um, through that. Luckily, I had a professor who happened to also be a neurologist, and I went to, I went to office hours one day because I was struggling in his class, and he saw my arm trembling, and he said, you know what, I think I'm going to have you go get an MRI. So I ended up getting an MRI. They diagnosed that I had a problem, um, so my dreams of going to medical school kind of were pushed aside and uh, ended up graduating not with not as good as grades as I would have hoped, but uh, ha- immediately after I graduated, ended up having brain surgery and then recovered. You know, it took a little bit of time to recover and then decided, you know what, I just want to go work. I just want to get in. I want to stay in healthcare, but I know medical school is just not for me, um, given my challenges with the grades and all of that. So ended up starting with a, um, I'd worked for American Cancer Society, kind of helped them build some community centers. Um, and that was all my last year of college as a senior. And then when I graduated and after you know, my uh, recovery, I went, for, went to work as a large physician practice management organization. And they were 
they were growing rapidly, and this was the time when managed care was just getting started, especially on the East Coast. I live on the West in San Diego, and Me so. Too. Oh, do you do? do? Yeah. Oh, okay, now you have to stop for a second and tell her where you live. <laughs> <laughs> I live in East Lake, which is like East Chula Vista. Oh, great! I'm in North Park. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, so I'm there a lot. They're really improving their scenery, and the restaurants are really getting good there yeah. now too. Yeah. <laughs> So um, anyway, so decided to uh, work for this company. Managed care was big at the time on the west, not so much on the east, but we started expanding into Texas, Florida, and other places that were more welcoming to it. And then we ended up building our own ambulatory EMR, or a version of it, um, for what you have today. And that's how I actually got into IT. So Wait, I, what was the name of the ambulatory EMR? Do you remember? No, it was just custom for our company. Okay. Yeah, we so didn't sell it. It was just proprietary. Okay. Um, we had used it just for our own physician referrals, claims administration, things like that. And, and for our listeners, when was that? That was in the in the mid nineties. Okay. Mid nineteen. So really early. In yeah, the very early, very early. And so I then left that company. Uh, they grew very rapidly. Um, they went public. I helped them with their public offering. There, I had actually been the head of corporate communications and investor relations. And then then they fell fast. <laughs> you know, trying to keep up with the needs of the market and, you know, the pressures of being public and, you know, the shareholders and all of that. And actually several firms at that time that did the same thing also faltered. Uh, it was not a good time. Anyway, so I, I progressed and moved on to a company called Canetra, which was actually bought by WebMD. So spent a couple of years there, and my job was really to convince physicians to use these tools. And so I would go out to the physician offices and train them, go back again and train them, go back again and train them. <laughs> and I got paid based on how much the physicians used the technology. And so that was an interesting uh, journey, for sure, because I got to learn about how resistant they are and things like that. And then from there, I joined a firm called um, Computer Task Group, and they were an IT consulting firm, and started as an account manager, and then migrated into what we call a client partner's um, role. And I spent 17 years there, and that was a great opportunity because we had done so much with healthcare. Uh, we did clinical, rev cycle, pure technology work. Um, so I got to really learn and grow at um, CTG at the time. And that is how I met my current boss, because um, he used to work at CTG. He had come right out of the military. His name is Mac McMillan, and he owns the firm I'm at now, Synergistic. And uh, so he and I worked together in the early 2000s, and then he left after a few years, and uh, I stayed along. I stayed on, like I said, for 17 years. And then in 2017, he heard I may be looking, and we had kept we had kept in touch over the years. We had actually gotten out of the cybersecurity space when Mac left. Um, we couldn't really keep up the momentum that he had brought. And um, so I would always refer business to him. So I had kept in touch with him. And then when he heard that I may be leaving, I actually reached out to him because I know he knows so many people. And I said, look, I'm talking to these few firms, trying to make a final decision. What do you think? You know, what Have you dealt with any of these firms? And he said, is there any chance you'd interview with my board? Because I'd really love you to join. And so, you know, I frankly, I did it as a courtesy because of our friendship. I really wasn't thinking of, you know, joining his firm. It wasn't top of my radar. 
Um, but after I started talking to his leadership, his board, and all of the things that are that I could do for the company as well as what I could learn and join a you know a new industry, I decided this was the place for me. So now I've spent the last year and a half at Synergistic, and it's a cybersecurity, privacy, and compliance consulting firm, and I run operations. And that entails overseeing all of our delivery, so all consultants that provide support to our customers, um, all of our sales and marketing, our project management office. Um, so anything that would be client-facing res- reports under me, and I love it. It's been a really great transition. I love working there. What are your current thoughts about kind of cybersecurity in needs in general? Because we worked a lot with small ambulatory physicians, and I think everybody thinks it's not my problem, right? We still had people running on Vista after they said to throw it away, right? Like, there's some very simple things for very small offices, basics that aren't being done, but you guys obviously work on a much larger scale with some pretty important people, too, that what is, you know, what is the kind of the climate of that space, and what are you seeing that maybe people are getting wrong? I think, <laughs> unfortunately, it's a, it's a necessary evil. You have to focus on cybersecurity, no matter your size. And we deal with customers that are very small, as well as the large, you know, integrated delivery networks that have, you know, 50 hospitals. And I think that the smaller you are, I think it is more out of sight, out of mind. And there could be a misperception that they're going to, you know, hackers are going to go after the big guys, where there's going to, they're going to be able to get you know, more out of it, but that's Actually, not necessarily the case. <laughs> I, had a, I had a client up in Alaska, I, 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 we did an, their annual SRA, and from one year to the next, they had completely changed the way that they were operating because um, a hacker had basically, was taking them, asking for a ransom. Right. It wasn't that much, and so he was explaining what was going on is that same hacker had reached out to, you know, hundreds of different facilities saying the same exact thing, but they only wanted five grand. Right. It wasn't that much money. But you five grand times a hundred, exactly. you know, then it starts becoming worthwhile. Yeah, and yeah. it's not like they're a huge operation up there, but it was enough that it com- it completely changed the way that they thought right. about their own cybersecurity. Right. right. So, you know, I think it is something that everybody needs to be aware of. I was at a women's conference um, in New York in November speaking. We had, I was a panelist and there were two other panelists. One was talking about cryptocurrency and the other was talking about artificial intelligence. And it was just to get people to be aware whether you're going to be in that business or just a recipient, you know, just a consumer. You have to be aware of your data, where it's going, and how you can protect it. And I'm and my concern is that the smaller you are, I think it's less visible to you. You know, small business owners, small physician practices, um, at the larger organizations, it's part of their key, you know, strategy to, you know, really focus on security. But the smaller you are, it's not necessarily part of your key strategy. We try and explain to doctors through doing security risk assessments and these other things that really it's not even money for the sake of money. It's an investment to protect yourself and your patient's information. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think a lot of people, we only hear about it after there's a crisis. Do you guys deal with a lot of that? People can do an emergent situation. We always deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, it's too often. And so I think also the perception is that you're always going to be, that there's a way to be protected. It's not a matter of 
if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen. You know, when you'll be hacked, when there'll you know, be somebody that tries to get in, because it changes so rapidly. They're constantly, you know, these hackers and others um, are constantly finding ways to get in. And so you, the best you can do is manage um, your risks well, you know, identify what your highest risks are, focus on those areas to improve. So to your point, if these systems affect patient care, those have got to be the ones that you focus the most on. If these systems focus, you know, can get into the patient's financial data, those have to be the ones that get, are given the priority. Um, and so I think it's, we try to do a more of a risk-based approach because you can't get to it all, all at the same time and all at once, and you'll never be done. So if you can yeah. handle those risks, that's the way to that's go. That's a really good point because there's several clients and, and practices that we've worked with that they thought that they could fail a risk assessment. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, no, what if, you know, what if I don't pass? And it's, right. it's not necessarily a, a pass-fail type thing that you're right. going to get a I mean, of course, there's some performance in it, but it's ultimately about understanding what your risks are right. and making sure that you have a plan to address them. Right. And you'd be surprised. Some of the largest, most sophisticated organizations, you would think, would be doing much better than some of the smaller ones. And sometimes you're surprised. But it, it, it's not because they don't want to do it. It's because there are so many other conflicting priorities um, and so that, those are the things that we face. And then, unfortunately, what happens is then you get the major incident or breach, and then there's big dollars involved with that. That's when all of a sudden attention starts happening. So You know, you said something earlier, and it was the way you said it. You said systems, plural. And so often, even in a very large, large physician group, we go in and they think it's just the EMR. And right. it's cloud-based. So I don't have to think about it. The onus is on my vendor. That is the only thing I have to worry about. They wrote a paragraph about how the vendor is responsible for it. They're good. And so tell us about that and kind of the fact that it really is comprehensive. I I don't think people give consideration in a medical office to all the other things people touch that have that information. And you made mention of a couple of them. A copier, uh, right? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention the same thing. So part of what uh, Synergistic, we also have what we call a managed print service offering. And so we do printer device security assessments because a lot of times folks don't realize that they can get into the printers as well or fax machine, Mm -hmm. for example. And I have my home number, my home fax number is actually one digit off from the Rite Aid Pharmacy by my home, I constantly get PHI sent to me. I bet. Constantly. And I keep calling the Rite Aid, and I'm saying, look, you guys have to figure something out. You cannot let them fax information to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Do it through your, you know, your EHR, whatever system that they have. But I'm getting this, and what if I, what if I was not a good person? Yeah. You know, I know to shred it because of the industry that I'm in. But I just feel bad because I think of my grandparents or something that, you know, they go to the local office place, they put in the wrong number, and now somebody's got their social security number, they got their credit card. I have copies of their license and front and back of their credit card. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, can ha- it can happen more than just applications. 
It can be other devices in the system. No, and the intent can be malicious or not, but in the hands of the wrong person, obviously, a huge, huge issue. They could still get in trouble. Even if it was mal yeah. not malicious, malicious. they yep. could get in trouble if I have that data and yeah. somebody finds out and reports them. So. And it happens every day, right. all the time, I'm sure hundreds of thousands of times per right. hour, probably even more. Maybe you have stats for us. Do you have any interesting statistics about cybersecurity you can share with our listeners? I don't have any off the top of my head. Um, Probably because there's too many to there's remember. There's too many. And, you know, it's funny you say that because when I got back into cybersecurity, you know, I mean, when I tried to learn it, I was beating myself up because I couldn't keep up with all the new information every day. I mean, there's 500 articles a day I could read about this. And so I said, how am I going to do this? So now I just kind of block a little time every week to try to keep up with the statistics, but it's, you're drinking from the fire hose and it's because it's just moving so fast. Yeah. So our next question for you, if you could, you kind of have to put on your utopic thinking hat. Okay. If you could snap your fingers and have one problem in healthcare or health IT solved, what would it be? Maybe stay away from cybersecurity. You have a ton of experience to draw from. You've had like a I know. really interesting I know. journey too. Well, you so. know, in my, I did go to a, a session, a speaking engagement recently, and it was a mother and daughter, and it was about their patient experience. The daughter had a chronic condition, and uh, I, I do really hope there's a way. And I know, I know there's a lot of companies really trying to do this, but there is a way to ensure that the patient doesn't get lost in the system. And I do, luckily, I've grown up in healthcare. So if something happens to my family, I'm going to know how to fight for them. I'm going to know how to go and um, serve as their advocate. I'm, I'm not afraid to ask doctors the hard questions and things like that. But there isn't necessarily a tool that allows patients to help, to help manage their care that the physicians are going to trust and listen to and respect. I think there's still, I mean, and my husband's a perfect example. He had a doctor that just wasn't diagnosing what he needed. He just told him he had to do these crazy things, and he wasn't getting better. And, um, and I finally said, you know what, you need another doctor. You need somebody that's going to take an open perspective and listen. And he says, well, he's the doctor. He knows what he's talking about. I said, no, you need to listen to yourself. And unfortunately, my husband wasn't documenting anything. And so when he did start with the new physician, he had to start from scratch, um, and I wasn't with him. So I, who knows what he said. But if there's a way to be able to help patients be better advocates for themselves, um, I would love to see that. We are starting a reading list for women in health IT. And so if there are any books that have been impactful for you personally or professionally, we would love to hear about it. So I don't have time to read, but I do have time to listen when I walk my dog every that weekend. <laughs> you you enjoy counts. both in the yeah. Bay Area. Mom. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's Same. see. So, and I, what I do is I'm actually kind of strategic with it. I read one business book, and then the next book I read is for pleasure. And business pleasure, business pleasure. Um, I loved, I love becoming by Michelle Obama. I thought that was great. And what I loved about it, well, I like the fact that hardly politics were hardly discussed, which was great because I was a little worried about that. But I loved how honest she was. 
I love the fact that she says, I was on the wait list to Harvard, and thank goodness somebody didn't get in. Otherwise, I wouldn't have gotten in, you know? And, and how many people want to admit some of those things? So I thought that was great. Um, and how she did normal, you know, normal teenage things, and so I thought that was terrific. Um, I also enjoyed um, the Ellen Powell book. I don't know if you've heard Ellen Powell. So she was, um, she worked for a venture capitalist firm in Silicon Valley, and it's a story about discrimination against women in that business and in that industry, and how she, you know, tried to basically fight her way through it. Um, unfortunately, she lost in the end, and um, she, the, she ended up not, you know, fight the lawsuit that she had claimed or whatever. She ended up losing it, but it's just empowered a lot more women to speak up. I really love that book. It's called Reset, My Fight for Inclusion. And then from a, from a non-woman, uh, you know, business professional and being a leader of a team, uh, I really enjoyed Move Your Bus. And it's about, you know, how you can really evaluate your team and know where to focus on those individuals. Have you read it? No, I haven't no, even heard of it. So it's about basically considering your team in four categories. And you kind of, you have to visualize the bus as, you know, if you've, you guys look so young, like Fred Flintstone. Um, even the Fred Flintstone cartoons, they had this and they had mm-hmm. to use their feet to get around. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is that concept. And so you have your runners that basically keep running and keep the bus moving. You have your joggers, which are pretty good performers, but they could you could probably push them to do a little better. Um, you have your walkers, and those are the ones that don't like change. They like to just keep things even keel. They put in the you know, requisite hours, but they don't go above and beyond. They're the walkers. And then you have the sitters, and those are the people that drag everybody down. Those are the folks that have the negative attitudes or they're, you know, they're the ones that they, they might be great workers, but they're not good team players and things like that. And it talks about your strategies of dealing with all of those different types of employees in the workforce. So I found that really helpful. And as you read it, well, as I was listening to it, um, I could identify, I knew exactly on my team. And I have a lot of team members, but I knew exactly how to characterize them. Which bucket everybody which fell bucket. into. Yeah. yeah. Or which seat on the bus, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Right. How, how much they're helping the bus move, yeah. basically. And then my last one, which I really enjoyed, was how, how I did it. And it was um, CEO Stories from Harvard Business Review. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Just all the different variations of the experiences that all the different CEOs had. And I really loved the one on... Um, I can't remember her last name, but her first name's Ursula. She was the CEO of Xerox, and she started as an executive assistant and worked her way up to be the CEO. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that one as well. Cool. Angela, if people want to find out more about you or Synergistic, how can they do that? What socials are you on, and where can they find out more about your organization? Okay. LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter feed. What's your Twitter <laughs> handle? Um, What's the web address for Synergistic? Uh, www.synergistech.com. That's C-Y-N-E-R-G-I-S-T-E-K.com. Yeah. Right. And then I will 
this is why I need help. I know how to post, but I don't know anything else. Um, That's right. I was consulting my 14-year-old for Instagram help at dinner last night. So these <laughs> no things joke. happen. I sit yeah. next to it. It's <laughs> at, <laughs> Tell us more. It's at Rivera Angela D. Awesome. Thank you so much for speaking with us okay. today. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you.